From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. How is the coronavirus pandemic likely to play out? Today, I'll ask that question of Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatrician who specializes in infectious disease and public health at Upstate, and she's joining me by telephone. Thank you for making time for HealthLink on Air, Dr. Shaw. Thank you for having me, Amber. So how is this pandemic likely to play out if people follow the rules about staying indoors and limiting the spread, what's going to happen to this virus? Well, you know, we fortunately, uh, United States um, have been at the end of the pandemic in terms of um, having the opportunity to learn from other countries, um, such as China and now Europe. Um, So there's no reason to think that the virus circulation uh, will change its course and that it will behave differently compared to what we have seen in China or in Europe. Um, So it's clear that in the United States, we are at the beginning of uh, the pandemic um, and we are still on the uptick of the epicurve of this virus. You know, unlike China, where the cases appear to be leveling off, Uh, we are just starting to see increases um, throughout the United States. So we can learn from China and their experience because they've gone through this a month ahead of us, a couple months ahead of us? Yeah, so China has reported their first cases of unexplained um, pneumonia in the end of December, actually. And then they started reporting uh, sporadic cases and outbreaks initially, as you know, in Wuhan, and um, then the infection spread from there. So if you think about it as the first cases in the end of December, and they have just started leveling off in the beginning of March, that gives us a a sense of uh, the timeline for this epidemic and and what one can expect um, uh, here in the United States. Um, Of course, the timeline changes uh, with implementation of social distancing. Um, China was very aggressive, so uh, even with the aggressive measures they put in place, they still took at least, you know, two and a half, three months to start leveling off. So the idea with the social distancing and with so many people staying home from work, working from home, um, not congregating in groups of people, is that, uh, it's it's designed to like stop the spread, but is that because people might be infected and not know it? Is is that what protects the community from if I'm infected and I don't know it, but I stay away, I'm not going to infect other people? Yeah, yes, exactly. It's actually to to protect the spread of the infection from both uh, people who are infected and don't know it because we know this virus is particularly challenging because a large proportion of people are what we call asymptomatically infected, meaning they carry the virus, they don't know about it, and um, during close contact, they will transmit it to others. And then another group of people who will develop mild disease, they may think of it as simple cold, you know, they won't think much about it, and again, during close contact, they can in, uh, infect um, the loved ones, uh, friends and family. So, yeah, so the social distancing is a key to mitigate the transmission of this virus in a community. Um, We currently have no other effective measures 
to stop the virus from circulating, but to remove those susceptibles from the community, which is all of us. We are all susceptible to this virus since it's new. Now, uh, as we're all practicing social distancing, there are scientists who are working furiously on developing a vaccine. Are we going to, is that going to be the the way to solve this pandemic? Are we going to need that vaccine in order to end this? Or how do you see this playing out? So, uh, yeah, so currently there are several companies that are developing vaccine, and one of them, um, at least I'm aware of Moderna, has entered uh, phase one clinical trial. Um, So the vaccine development is really important. However, it's unlikely that we will benefit from it during this this pandemic. Um, And that's because vaccine development takes a long time in general. You know, it takes several years to uh, develop a vaccine, and the COVID vaccines are projected to maybe be available in 12 to 18 months. By then, it's quite likely the whole planet has been infected, population will be immune, and it will be unlikely uh, that the vaccine will be needed to stop this pandemic. However, if this virus continues to circulate and as new cohorts, um, you know, young people will enter um, uh, the world population, uh, they may benefit from, from the vaccine. Or if we have outbreaks of this infection uh, happening in the future. Now, I've heard some people compare this to the Spanish flu um, pandemic, I guess, from 1918. Do you see similarities with that? So what's similar to Spanish flu and COVID-19 pandemic is um, the speed with it, with, um, the, the way it spread throughout uh, the globe um, and um, the fact that, um, you know, during Spanish flu and during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are all susceptible. Since this is a novel uh, virus, uh, we do not have a pre-existing immunity to it. Um, <clears throat> however, there are some um, distinct differences. Um, uh, with COVID-19, a large proportion of people uh, are asymptomatic or mildly infected, and therefore they can transmit this infection very effectively. Um, the death rate, um, or the, I should say, the you know case fatality rate for this virus appears to be greater than it was for Spanish flu. Um, but we also don't know whether COVID-19 will have this sort of bimodal distribution. With Spanish flu, we saw a spring wave of, of cases, and then again later in fall. And that peak of um, cases was a lot even greater than spring. So what we don't know with COVID-19 pandemic, whether there's going to be a comeback um, um, in, a, in the near future. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatric infectious disease expert at Upstate, and we are, of course, talking about COVID-19. That's the name of the disease uh, that the coronavirus um, causes. So, Dr. Shaw, can you describe what does the coronavirus do to the lungs? Because this is a respiratory disease, correct? Yes, uh, it is primarily a respiratory disease. It um, enters um, to our bodies through our noses, or we can inhale it through our mouth. It's an infection that will infect your upper respiratory tract 
and then progresses into infection of your lower respiratory tract. So it initially starts with mild symptoms. Um, if you develop symptoms, you'll have mild symptoms, fever, cough, you know, headache. You may feel achy. It can actually look just like flu. And when it progresses, it um, will go on developing, you know, people will develop shortness of breath, cough, um, and those are usually symptoms that will bring them to the hospital. Um, people who get sick with it usually develop pneumonia and what we call um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Essentially, they will be short of oxygen and will require uh, intensive care unit and intubation to help them breathe. So the percentage, though, of people that end up with a severe case where they need hospitalization, that's considered to be pretty small, right? We've heard like, yeah, kind of, I, I think I've heard that up to 80% of people who become infected um, will have like a milder case that they can, you know, have, stay at home and recover at home. Yes, majority of those who are infected um, have, again, either no symptoms or have mild symptoms, some symptoms, cold and cough. Um, some of the estimates, you know, depending on a study that you read, is 20 to 60 percent of people may have actually asymptomatic and mild disease. It's really only the small proportion of people, and people are at high risk for severe disease with COVID-19 uh, will end up in the hospital. So how long does recovery take? If you're one of the people that uh, has sort of a milder version of this, um, how long does recovery take? And will you start feeling better or are you going to feel cruddy for a long period of time? <laughs> so that's an excellent question, Amber. Um, and I, I have answers only for a part of your question. We really don't know for those mild and asymptomatic um, patients how quickly they recover because we typically don't see them, right? So we would not catch those people who have no symptoms or have mild because they will not be seeking medical care. However, we know more about those who will become ill and require hospitalization. And we learn from China that, you know, the time to recovery can be anywhere between two to eight weeks, depending on the severity of the disease. So the more ill you are, the longer you will take to recover. Do we know whether a person who's had this and recovered from it is immune from getting it again? So we don't know answer to that question yet. However, essays are being developed to measure immune responses to this infection. And we are hoping to learn more from those studies um, to be able to determine whether people acquire lifelong immunity to this virus or it will be immunity that will maybe be seasonal. Um, so there's uh, more to be learned on this topic. And there's other diseases that we do that for, right, where you can be tested to see if you have the antibodies for a particular thing to know whether you're immune or not. Yes, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of experience with measuring immunity to a variety of infectious agents. Uh, one good example is uh, measles, for example. We know that um, wild infection or immunizations will provide lifelong protection. Um, Chickenpox, for example, is another example. So, yes, there are numerous infections uh, where we know that once you're infected, you're, uh, you're likely protected for life. But then there are other infections where that doesn't happen. Uh, and Lyme disease, for example, is, um, um, comes to mind. 
you know, we know that if you, even if you have Lyme disease, you can get reinfected in the future. Well, let me bring you back to the person who is um, ill with this at their home. There's no currently no bona fide treatment for this. So can you give some advice for someone in terms of what can they do or take to help them feel better uh, while they're recovering at home? Uh, since we don't have any specific treatments, antivirals, um, supportive care is really the only option for people who come down with this infection. So taking it easy, taking plenty of rest, um, drinking fluids, you know, honey, um, vitamin C, all those sort of uh, measures that we would use for um, treatment of cold and uh, mild respiratory tract infections apply to this infection as well. One thing that uh, probably is really important for COVID-19 is that people, if they can, that they socially distance from their loved ones at home. You know, we know that majority of those cases that are identified actually come from household contact. So if possible at all, if uh, infected person can use separate bathrooms, you know, exercise, uh, diligent hand hygiene, cover your cough, um, you know, and stay away from your loved ones um, is key uh, to protect not only yourself, but protect the ones around you. Now, in China, they built uh, hospitals and put the people that had sort of mild cases in those hospitals, right? They isolated them from their families by bringing them, you know, together in a like a dorm style kind of hospital. But we really don't yeah. have that set up here for that. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that option, unfortunately. China has gone to extreme measures to try to identify and um, isolate those with, uh, with COVID-19. And um, you brought up a good example of their effort. Now, let me ask you about pain relievers like Tylenol, aspirin, um, ibuprofen. Are those safe to take uh, if, you're, if you're feeling bad and you've got this? So um, as far as we know, um, uh, those should be safe to use. Um, I have not seen any specific articles that would address concerns about any one of those uh, for treatment of fever in patients who have COVID-19. So unless new information emerges, I would say they, um, they could be used uh, so patients can feel better. And are any of the sort of the antiviral or... Um, there's like zinc products, airborne, those types of things that are sold um, to sort of help people boost their immune systems, I guess. Do, do those work or do they help? Um, so there's no evidence that any of those um, that you mentioned will help. And my concern always is uh, that using off-label medications or over-the-counter products is uh, potential side effects or damage and harm. So I strongly discourage use of those um, uh, supplemental, um, um, you know, medications. Um, so I would resort uh, myself, and what I, I advise my family is, uh, you know, supportive care, uh, the antipyretics to make us feel better and, and rest, and uh, warm liquids with honey and um, 
let it ride its course. And if you do get sicker, you know, if during that illness you start developing shortness of breath or it's hard to breathe or you breathe fast or cough worsens, that's the time when you need to call your healthcare provider and seek additional advice. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Yana Shaw, pediatrician at Upstate who specializes in infectious diseases and public health. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.